From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. And so to get to work in a place where people don't just kind of like talk over you or put you down or disregard anything you have to say, to be in a space where they, they uplift you and they do care about what you have to say and they do believe in your ability as a writer and all those things. It makes a huge difference. It's really important. On this episode of What the Job, we're sticking with creative careers and talking with video game writer Shelby Carlton. Shelby is a narrative designer with Sledgehammer Games, which means if you've played Call of Duty Vanguard, you've probably heard some of the dialogue she produced. Shelby and I chat about her career journey, which has been more direct than most, her passion for gaming, and how a collaborative and supportive team leads to great creative outcomes. What the Job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance? Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash ualbertaalumni. So what's your name and what's your job? My name is Shelby Carlton, and I am a narrative designer at Sledgehammer Games. Narrative designer. What what do you do as a narrative designer? <laughs> I uh, I write the words that go into video games, but surprisingly, it's actually a lot more complicated than that sometimes. Uh, it's not just being a writer. It's also working with things like dialogue tools and implementing the dialogue into the game. So you're a little bit on the tool set, uh, tool set side of things as well. It's also uh, editing. You're editing your own work. You're editing the work of your peers. Sometimes you're writing, helping, uh, helping marketing out, writing some marketing copy if you know the characters really well and they need some character stuff that they want to use. But primarily, it's writing things like cinematics, the trailers that you might see for characters, the trailers you might see for seasons for the game. And it's writing the, the dialogue, the dialogue that you see in the game. I feel like that's maybe the thing that people think of the most when they think of writing for video games. It's, it's the words that the characters say. And we, we do a lot of that. <laughs> That sounds very cool and very collaborative. It sounds like you have to work with a lot of different people in a lot of different um, areas at that at Sledgehammer Games. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So our team, uh, we're all a team of narrative designers and there's six of us. And that's kind of rare for the industry. You don't usually see narrative teams that are that big, but we had a big project <laughs> to take on. And so there are six of us. And in actually in Call of Duty Vanguard, we were each able to take on some different levels. So we were each kind of working on a different section of the game. And that kind of took the the pressure off of the time constraints of having to, <laughs> to write an entire game kind of by yourself or each section. We were each able to kind of take one and, and focus on that one ourselves. And that was a really cool experience as well. I was going to ask you, mentioned Call of Duty Vanguard. What, what kind of games does Sledgehammer games make? Yeah, so, so far, Sledgehammer has created uh, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, Call of Duty World War II, and now Call of Duty Vanguard. So they're primarily a Call of Duty studio supporting sometimes all of the other wonderful studios that make Call of Duty all under the branch of Activision Blizzard right now, uh, but soon to be Microsoft next year. And how does it all get sort of like plotted out, the narrative for this? Is it just, do you, does somebody <laughs> sit down and pound out like the bones of a story and you have to come in and fill in the parts for a character? Do you guys storyboard it together? How does it work? 
Yeah, yeah. So this was an interesting process for a lot of us on the team, actually, because pre-production started for the game where, like you said, you like kind of bang out the story beats and, and the skeleton, really, you kind of lay out the skeleton for the story you want to tell. A lot of us were brought in after that process had happened. And so we were kind of there to look at all these pieces that were in front of us and figure out how to kind of put them together or add to them if we could. And so we kind of came in where there were these wonderful, wonderful contract writers that they had hired before us, the, the in-house writers kind of came in and they really laid that framework for this is who the characters are. This is what the, the beat chart looks like, right? The beats for the events that take place in the story and the beginning, the middle, the end. And then we got to take a look at those levels and kind of put our own little, our own little magic, whatever we want to call it, uh, into those characters and those levels that we were each uh, assigned to help work on and bring them to completion. So that was kind of an interesting uh, an interesting state of affairs. <laughs> it was cool, though. Creative work like this is always kind of interesting to me because I think people imagine, you know, a single person sitting in a room coming up with these genius ideas or something like that. But it really is a big team thing, huh? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, collaboration uh, is certainly on the, the narrative team side, we're always talking with each other and, and looking for feedback and bouncing ideas off and especially going through our incredible uh, story lead. His name is Steven. He's he's the boss of, of all of us. And he always, you know, proofs our work and uh, lots of people have to prove our work, but he's kind of the first person that uh, green lights it to the, to the next stage to kind of move up the chain. Um, but that's just the narrative team. Like we work with so many departments, like the art department and, and character design, um, the, the sound audio and how the lines are recorded by the voice actors, um, level designers, in the pacing of the dialogue throughout the game all of these teams are so integrated with one another and it's just it's such a, a huge team effort <laughs> to to bring this together and sitting um in these things called called dialogue review where you sit with your your team lead so steven and the the creative director of the game and you listen to robot voices <laughs> early on spit out your dialogue and then your your team leads kind of sit there and they say how they feel about that dialogue. <laughs> sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. And the main thing to remember is that uh, all feedback is is great and appreciated. And you just come back the next time with an even better draft. Uh, and then you do it all again until it's awesome. That sounds absolutely <laughs> terrifying. That sounds like the scariest <laughs> thing I can imagine, putting out writing that you care about and then having it judged right before your eyes. <laughs> It's true. It really is kind of like a trial by fire. But I personally, I personally really loved those sessions. I really loved and trusted the opinions of the people who were who were giving that feedback. And so I felt really lucky to kind of get to sit there and have them be like, oh, this isn't working or this is working and kind of talk about the reasons why and the reasons why the level changed. Because you always kind of have to keep in the back of your mind. It's never or at least it shouldn't be. <laughs> it should never be personal, right? It's always something else in the game has changed or uh, this line isn't working here because the level, you know, the level has changed in some way or that isn't communicating what we need to the player. And so the feedback is never, oh, you're, <laughs> this was bad. Therefore you are a bad writer. <laughs> it's just, oh, hey, this didn't work. Here's why. Um, and it's like a puzzle. It's like, okay, what are you going to do to fix that? And I, I love that. I love that part of it. That's fascinating. Do you, do you have a creative writing background? I do. So I, I grew up um, creatively writing. I loved it. It was my favorite subject in, in school all the way through grade school. We had this thing. It was like divided. English was divided into two parts. There was language arts and there was writing. <laughs> and writing was the, the one that had all the creative stuff. And that was always my favorite subject growing up. And then um, I just kind of continued to do that all into university. And I was actually able to minor in creative writing. So that was part of my degree as well. 
I always find it fascinating people who take on creative jobs because, you know, conjuring creativity seems like it's a difficult thing. It's not like, I think I talked about this before in an earlier podcast, we interviewed someone in music and I was like, it's not like you can just, you know, it's not like digging a, a ditch or something like that where you're like, well, if I work for a couple hours, I'll get X amount of feet of ditch dug. You can't do that with art and say, <laughs> well, if I sit at a desk for this amount of time, I'm going to get this amount done. But when it's your job, does it become that way? I think when I talked to her, she said deadlines are just super useful for making sure she gets everything done. She doesn't have a choice. It has to get done. So how do you find it? Yeah, I think uh, the <laughs> the ditch digging is very funny, but I think the the deadlines is a really good, uh, really good point because it's that's incredibly true. You have a deadline that's coming up, and if you don't meet it, that's a that's a problem. <laughs> Someone is going to have to meet that deadline. And the problem too in game development is that if you don't meet a deadline, that doesn't just push you back; it pushes all of the other teams back who are depending on your work. And that sounds a little scary, um, but it's actually kind of helpful to think that, you know, you're in a system. And the, the thing that I always think about when I'm trying to get to get work out and to show it to people, and this is something that, that my, my wonderful boss says all the time, or it's something that he taught me very early on when I first started, was that the only thing that your first draft needs to do is exist that's it. That's, that's really all that needs to happen. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be good. <laughs> it doesn't need to like make sense. It just, you just have to get something down on the page and you need to show it to me as fast as you possibly can so that we can start polishing it and working on it and making it, uh, you know, the best that it can be so that it can get into this game and, and people can, you know, get on with their lives. <laughs> and I thought that was, that was great advice because, you can't expect perfection from yourself, especially on the first try. Nothing is ever going to be perfect, especially in writing. You're always learning. You're always growing. And so when you have those deadlines that are coming out, sometimes you really just kind of have to leave your ego at the door and just kind of go with what you're feeling and just get something on the page, no matter what it is. Because as long as you can do that, you have your team members and, and other people who are, who are kind of keeping you in check who you can talk to about it and they'll help you kind of like piece it together. You're not just like you're saying, you're not just one person alone in a room, at least in this job. I can't speak for, for other studios and, and other teams, but at least here, you're not just one person. You are, you have many people who are, who are there to, to help me at least. And so I, I feel very lucky. I'm sure there are indie <laughs> developers out there who have to do it all themselves, but uh, yes. Yeah. I, from my old boss used to call it a puke draft. The first draft where you just need to get it done. She's just like, just like throw it out, just get it out there. And then I think it's so true in writing. I think, as you say that, let your team help you, let your editor be an editor and steer you. And as long as you're focused on knowing that the goal is the same for everyone, then you can work together as a team to get there. Yeah. It's very yeah. cool to see that happening in, in like a video game world. Are you, are you a gamer in your past? Is that always, has video games always been a part of your life? Yes. Yeah. They've, they have always been there. My dad growing up was a was huge into video games. He loved them. I remember um, sitting next to him at his computer and he was playing Serious Sam. Nice. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with that franchise. It's it's pretty old now. Um, I must have been like four or five. <laughs> I would sit next to him and I would watch him play this game. And I was just so enamored because you could turn the gore settings. You could turn them to be either red, green or flowers. So when you killed aliens, like flowers would come out. And I was just, I just thought that was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and then as I got older, I kind of started playing, I was, you know, my motor skills developed and I started playing my own games. I was a huge fan of the, uh, it was called Barbie Explorer. 
on the PC and it was like an Indiana Jones ripoff. Great. So hard. It was such a hard game. Uh, <laughs> you like, you wouldn't believe, but then I got a little older and uh, consoles started to come out. We had an Xbox. I remember getting a Nintendo Wii for Christmas with the game Zelda, the twilight princess. And that was a huge deal. I played that game so much. And then I think when I was around probably 10 or 11 years old, that's when I was playing call of duty and I played call of duty, modern warfare too. Uh, and I don't know if it's because I wore the disc out or because, you know, there was just like a glitch in the disc or something like that. But the game stopped working eventually. And I was very upset that the disc would no longer <laughs> would no longer run. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I mean, uh, I wonder if someone will ever make like a Barbie Dark Souls mod because it seems like it would fit from from what you were talking about the other game. That would be amazing. <laughs> I keep I keep I have this like dream that one day I'll make this game about uh, like these girls that are like secretly fairy princesses. And there's these whole like this whole transformation sequence and they go around like fighting evil. And it's this sweeping <laughs> role playing game in this fantasy land. I think uh, I think a lot of people would actually would actually be into that. Maybe more than we may think. So we'll oh, probably, keep an eye on that. Yeah. <laughs> What's it like then to now work? You know, you say you Call of Duty, you played it so much, you wore out the disc. What's it like now to to work on a game that you love so much? It's yeah, it's it doesn't feel real. I don't know when I when I was interviewing for the job, I was like, oh, like that was fun and they were so nice, but like, why? And this is bad. You shouldn't think this of yourself. But I was like, why would they pick me? <laughs> and it when when they said it was actually Stephen who who called me one day. And he said, yeah, so, you know, we, the, the interview happened last week or whatever, and we thought it went really well. And we, yeah, we want you to, to come and work with us and make, make this Call of Duty game, which was Vanguard. And yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I, was in, I was in shock. <laughs> Tears were shed. That's pretty amazing. How did you get to the point where, like, you applied? And, and I'm curious about this sort of, like, interview process and what you think worked well for you? Like, how did you, how were you successful? Yeah. So I was really lucky to know, uh, I have a friend of mine, she actually used to live in Edmonton. Her name is uh, Sam Meggs and she was doing some contract work at the time for Sledgehammer. And I was able to ask her about the team. Like, is this a nice, is this like a nice place to work? <laughs> and she was very kind in telling me, yes, <laughs> don't be worried. Cause I had had some, some actually some, some really bad experiences previously um, to Sledgehammer in the industry. And so that was really comforting and really nice to know um, that these were people who were, who were caring and they, they cared about similar things that, that I cared about. And when I went into the interview, I had a portfolio that I had sent along. So that was, um, I had some short fiction that had actually been published. So I was able to send that along as well as my experience working on other games. Um, so I already had some game design, like narrative design experience specifically at smaller studios. So they knew that they were able to like read my writing samples that had, had been published. So they knew that other people in the world <laughs> believed that they were good enough to be published. So that's always nice. You know, it's not just you who thinks this piece of writing, it's good. Someone else believed that as well. And then in the interview, I was just very honest and and open and myself. And I asked questions about how women were treated in the studio. I asked questions about how women were represented in their games. And if that was something that mattered, like I wanted to find out if that was something that mattered because I wanted them to be a good fit as well. Um, even though that can be kind of scary and they just responded really well to those questions. And I think that's, those luckily were exactly the kinds of questions that they were looking for. So by just being myself and telling them openly, like the things that I cared about, I think that really, in that case, um, really worked in my favor. 
Yeah, because you know the gaming industry has a bit of a, a bad reputation in some fields. I mean, um, obviously there was that whole uh, Blizzard Activision scandal um, not so long ago, and hence they just mm-hmm. got bought out. And so uh, I am curious also about things like you know meeting deadlines for games. Is there a real grind to it and things like that? And how does your how do you and your coworkers you know uh, adjust and cope with that? Yeah, the the industry is quite. I guess I would call it like a mixed bag <laughs> in terms of how how you can be treated. I personally, in at my experience at Sledgehammer, has been extremely positive. I I love my team. Um, we're they're wonderful people. I couldn't imagine working with anyone else. And we kind of we kind of realize that we're a little bit special in that way. I think it's kind of rare to to meet people that are coworkers, especially long distance. Um, and there's six of us, and to just to just bond in that way where we can support each other and give feedback to one another. <laughs> and it's just awesome. That's not something that's sadly, uh, it's not super common. And I was, you know, previously at a studio that was not great <laughs> at all. They, they were very bad about how they treated not just me, but everybody. Um, and that was really hard. And uh, it was a bad time, basically. And so I was kind of very sensitive coming into Sledgehammer as to how how I kind of wanted to be treated and kind of building back up my confidence a little bit. Um, but overall, what's great is that I think we're starting to see some change as far as representation, not only in games, but in hiring diverse teams. You have to have people on both sides. You know, you have to have people in power and the people advocating for change. You kind of have to have them meet in the middle in order to, to elicit that change. And we got really lucky with with just just our whole team because there are people on both sides that are really advocating for that and and that's awesome i think with the the deadline thing that you mentioned that's something called crunch culture yeah i knew there was a name for it (laughs) yeah and uh crunch is when you know your game is coming out uh it can be any any kind of period of time away it typically starts to kick in around that year like year away from launch mark and it's just when you're you're putting in um, overtime. You're putting in a lot of overtime in order to get that game out the door because you have a deadline to meet. And sometimes crunch is, you know, I don't want to say that it's uh, like overtime is a problem. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to stay a little late. Uh, what we're talking about when we say crunch is when you are just constantly on the brink of of a breakdown <laughs> for pretty much a year straight like it's just it's it's so bad and it's so so it's so soul crushing and thankfully at sledgehammer too um you know our team at least we we took a lot of precautions to make sure that everybody was kind of doing okay and our team specifically like we were able to talk like check in with one another hey is there a lot on your plate right now can i take something off your plate i can't speak for any of the other teams i don't know what their process was like but because we knew each other really well and we were comfortable with each other, we were able to share when we were struggling and we were able to take some of that burden off um, as best we could. And we learned a lot from that process, too. So that was that was a, a benefit to having bonded <laughs> with your fellow team members. Well, and it sounds like a great place to do creative work. It sounds like you need I mean, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like having that sort of support, having a team where everyone's sort of looking out for each other or supporting each other. That's where. I think people are going to be willing to put forth the the ideas and the risks and um, you know get get the better quality product out. I think in the end, but uh, in, yeah. in a creative field anyway. Yeah, I think we all you know so so much of the team 
it was at least it was really apparent to me how much people loved this project and were really putting their their like just blood sweat tears love into it there's one level it's called stalingrad and specifically stalingrad summer i believe and the skybox was actually taken from an artist where i believe sometime last year or the year before california was just on fire uh, and it was a really it was a really scary time and the sky california sky lit up and it was it was orange this this crazy kind of um post-apocalyptic orange color and one of the artists went out and they filmed that sky and that is the sky that they used in stalingrad summer after this, oh, this kind awesome. of horrible cool. bombing run happens yeah and just to to see that to see people thinking so creatively about so many different things uh in this game and seeing like the love that went into it it was it's just really inspiring like you it makes you want to do to do better as well you want to like push yourself creatively like how can we think of this in new ways how can we do things that will like excite players that will excite us <laughs> it was it was a really cool environment to be in, in in that way that's such a neat fact i feel like you know back in the day with dvds there used to be like director's commentary you could get with the dvd i wish that existed for video games where you could hear little like tidbits like that about like how you know the skybox imagery was found or something like that or how a certain character was developed and the different people that came in i don't know maybe that's just me because i would like to see behind the curtains but i think that's a cool way to, to think about how <laughs> art is created <laughs> That would be a long director's commentary. <laughs> yeah, right. You have like, to play through the game. <laughs> 60 hours long. Yeah. But um, there's like some behind the scenes videos, I think, that are out there. One of them is talking about the the composition of the score, which is incredibly cool. Like, definitely check that out. Bear McCreary was the, the composer. Um, and he just does amazing work. And to see him sit down with our, our kind of principal audio director, also our creative director and talk through how they envisioned the music and letting a lot of their musicians kind of like improvise and like hearing the score that way. It was, it was really interesting. I didn't actually know any of that until I watched that video and I was like, Oh, no wonder it sounds so good. <laughs> what is it like? I mean, for one thing to be a woman writing a war first person shooter game. Um, I, I don't think that would have happened like 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> And writing a gay character in a game like that, I don't think that would have happened 10 years ago. So to be progressive and to be on that side in the face of, I don't know, now people, you just get accused of being part of like woke culture or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, what is it like to, to, to do that? Yeah, I think when I was younger, I, you know, I was, I was playing all these games and I noticed <laughs> that in these games, women were just either they weren't present or if they were, they were weird. They like weren't real people. <laughs> it, was, it was very strange. I was very weirded out at a young age as to why um, women in these games would walk around in like miniskirts or whatever. And the dude beside them would be wearing like, like full, full armor or like clothes that made sense. You know, they were just clothes that made sense at the end of the day. Um, and I was like, that's so strange. I don't, I don't get why that's a problem. That's so silly. <laughs> and then I got older and I entered the industry and I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. I, I understand a little bit more about, about why that is. And I think as a whole, the gaming industry itself is actually still very young. Like it's still a very young industry. Um, it hasn't been around as long as so many other things. Um, and we're, we're all still kind of learning how to, to navigate representation and stuff like that. But a lot of people, what's awesome is that they're realizing, let's just get the characters that, we're, that we want to represent. Uh, let's just hire the people that represent them to, to help write them and to help bring those stories to life. And so we're seeing a lot more diversity in the writer's rooms. 
um, and, and in these character creations and, and across the board. And that's really heartening to see. It's nowhere near perfect yet. Um, it definitely doesn't deserve like praise in terms of, yeah, we did it. We got there. It's solved. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> um, but we're seeing so many wonderful people fighting for that all the time. And that is so, so cool. Like our team, our narrative team, part of the one of the many reasons why I think we're so special. I love this team <laughs> is because we have we have parity. We have gender parity. There's three women and there's three men. And that's also something you don't see a lot. Of course, uh, you know, it's important to recognize there is only six of us. So it's, you know, it's it's much easier to reach gender parity as it as it should be. So of course it makes sense that it that it has that, you know, that should be kind of like a, a bare minimum kind of goal. But it's so nice to be able to hear the opinions of your colleagues and, and other women, especially to kind of like help uplift each other. Cause it can be scary sometimes after, especially after having a really bad experience, because you can kind of feel like your, your confidence takes a hit, your, your belief in your own ability takes a hit. And so to get to work in a place where people don't just kind of like talk over you or put you down or disregard anything you have to say to be in a space where they, they uplift you and they do care about what you have to say and they do believe in your ability as a writer and all those things. It makes a huge difference. It's really important. So um, yeah, being in a space that is kind to everyone <laughs> is really nice. <laughs> I have, yeah, I mean, we talked about this earlier before, but I just think even in terms of just, even in that like sheer capitalist perspective of like, let's put out the best product possible, I would say you would need a a, a a group of people who like to work together and have diverse views and opinions to make the best possible game. But um, I'm interested in talking a little bit about how you, again, how you got into this field and was it always your goal? Were you always like, I want to work in gaming ever since you were, you know, a student or was this something that you just sort of fell into? Yeah, I think if you, it's interesting, like you, there's so many people in the industry who have like vastly different stories. It's kind of, it's kind of wild. If you were to talk to anyone, I think they would probably have a, a weirdly, like wildly different way that they entered the industry. Um, for me, I I actually, I did know that this was what I wanted to do um, for, for quite some time. So growing up, I knew that I wanted to write in some capacity. And of course, I'm sure that made my parents nervous. <laughs> like, what's, what's a writer even do? I don't know. <laughs> um, and so I was like, yeah, I, I want to write in some form. I, I loved it so much. And then when I got to high school, my class in grade 11, uh, we toured Bioware. We toured the Bioware studio. And that's when I learned you can write four video games. <laughs> and that was just, you know, my two loves combining in this, this wonderful career that I didn't even know existed. And so in grade 11, shortly after our trip to Bioware, someone came from Bioware to, to our school and they also gave us a presentation. And this young woman, I believe she was interning at the time, but she said the way that she had gotten this job was she had gone to the University of Alberta, she'd majored in English and she had minored in creative writing. <laughs> and I was like, cool, me too. <laughs> and that's what I did. I went to the U of A and I majored in English and I minored in creative writing. And I, yeah, that's, that's all I wanted to do was, was write for video games. And I believe they have specific video game uh, courses. Now you can get a certificate. They I think. Do. Yes. It's called, I think the, the title is like the computer game development certificate. And it's, it's, it's pretty good. They teach a lot of different things. I believe there are art focused courses. There are programming focused courses. Um, there's, 
there's a writing course and there's a capstone course. You're the first one that you should take, quote unquote. You don't have to do them in any particular order, I don't believe. Um, I could be wrong about that. But the entry one is called Compute 250, and you're teamed up with I think your team of six, and you you make a game. I think the software they use now is RPG Maker, and you need to have a writer, an artist, a musician, um, and some programmers, and you together you you make a game over the course of a semester. And then in the the completion course, the capstone course of kind of the whole certificate is called INTD 450 Interdisciplinary Studies 450, and you do the same thing. You team up. Uh, again, I think there's six of you. And you make a game, except this time you have to choose a more complicated engine. So that could be Unity or Unreal. And again, you have a writer, you have a, a sound, you know, audio, um, animation, art, and some programmers. And again, over the course of one semester, <laughs> you you make a video game. And it's a great learning process. It can really teach you how to work with other people, which is one of the most important aspects of game design, in my opinion. Um, and it teaches you kind of the process of what does production look like? What does meeting a deadline look like? What does having an idea and seeing that idea through to the end look like? <laughs> uh, what complications arise? It's hard to make a game. <laughs> you realize that very quickly. <laughs> and then you can kind of sit back and think, is this something I want to do? So my first, my first ever video game that I ever made ever was in Compute 250, and it was called Panacea. And I was the only writer on the team, so I got to write it. Which was which was really nice, um, and I loved every second of it. I was like, "Yeah, this is this is it. I I love this." <laughs> you know, it's interesting because most of the people that we interview on this show are significantly older, but they'll also they did not go directly into the job where where they are now, and they also even if they love the job they are now, um, mm -hmm. most of them had a different kind of twisting path. But you seem to have been like pretty set on this path. And not only did you get there, but you seem pretty happy to be there. Yeah, yeah. I it was just it just felt like a dream for so long. I I knew the the odds, you know? I kind of felt like, what's that line from Star Wars? It's like never tell me the odds. <laughs> yeah. Because the the kind of unfortunate thing is that narrative design is a, a small profession in the way that you have a studio of people, right? You have these studios, these massive teams. You don't need a ton of writers the way that you need lots of lots of artists, lots of programmers. And so it's there's a lot of people who who want to to do this and there's not a lot of spots. So I fully like recognize how how lucky I am to be where I am. Um, and I, I'm just trying to enjoy it as, as much as I can. <laughs> now that you're working on games, do you still play games? Like after a long day of working on a game, do you go home and unwind by playing a game? <laughs> I, I do actually, I do still play games. I do still love them, but I think, I think maybe I look at them a little bit differently or I think actually if anything, I've become a little softer on games because I know, I know kind of the the way that the the meat gets cooked <laughs> so to so to speak so if something goes wrong in a game or there's a bug or or whatever i'll be like oh well i i probably can guess you know how how stressful and tumultuous that must have been for the for the poor developers on the other end so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna think too much about it or, or read too much into it um so so yeah i definitely still play games but when vanguard came out um i sat on the couch and my partner he played the the whole campaign and i just sat and watched it <laughs> because i didn't particularly 
necessarily feel like like running through those levels just one more time, you know, but it was great to see it. It was great to just kind of like be a, a passenger and witness all that beautiful work. So that was really rewarding. But yeah, didn't didn't necessarily have to control that one again. <laughs> I guess it's not like a movie where you can just sit down and watch the work like you, you really do have to watch someone actually play through it. But, you know, then you get to see their actual experience and reaction to everything, which I imagine, you know, games are interesting because unlike a movie or a TV show, it requires real audience interaction i always think mm -hmm. games are a little bit more like theater because you're kind of in the same space right even if it's a virtual space in this case so it must be kind of fun to see people react to that kind of stuff and uh yeah yeah that was that was really rewarding like i've always um thought of video games as as empathy machines they're so good for literally <laughs> putting you in the, the perspective of another person and you get to experience things from their perspective the way that you may never have gotten to do that at any other point in your life. The stories that you can experience are just, you know, they're, they're limitless, they're endless. And I think they're, that games are just, they're so great for, for instilling that in people. A lot of people, they played the game called uh, God of War and that had really strong themes of, of parenthood and what it's like to raise a kid by yourself, like all this stuff, especially fathers. And a lot of people responded to that game saying, you know, it made me want to, it made me want to call my dad. It made me want to talk to my dad about our relationship or it made me, it made me see my dad in like a new light and stuff like that. So they have this power to, to really change your mind about things, or at least, you know, use those those empathy muscles and, and see people in a new way or in a new light, I think in maybe a little bit different of a way that that film or, or books kind of do that just because you're you're in them. Not that they're any more less or more impactful, but just just different. They're different in that way. And I think that's so powerful. And that's part of the reason I, I love them so much. And part of the reason I wanted to make them because I wanted to do that too. I wanted to make people feel all the feelings. So it was awesome sitting next to my partner and having him react <laughs> to all the things on screen and be like poking him and prodding him when like lines that I wrote came up. I was like, oh, what did you, what did you think of that one? Like these, when you die, these death quotes come up. And I think uh, in past Call of Duty games, typically they're from world leaders or, or something like that. I may, oh, I may be remembering that wrong because we, we did it a little bit differently in Vanguard. We wrote death quotes that would come up and they would be from the characters, the actual characters in the game. You would kind of see a quote from them and anytime one would come up and if Aiden, that's my partner's name, if, if he liked it, I would say, oh yeah, well, that's I wrote that one. I couldn't remember, but I was like, yeah, I for sure. <laughs> I wrote that one if you liked it. <laughs> is it, is it, is, I, I just imagine it's very scary to launch a game, is it? Yeah, I think um, someone, someone was talking to me and they asked me how I felt about Call of Duty being played by like, I don't know, some insane million number of players around the world. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I hadn't really thought about that until now. <laughs> uh, I think the, the scariest part, at least for me, when when launching it was that you know so much so much love went into that game like i i cracked off a piece of my soul and i pushed it into vanguard <laughs> and to to have people you know dislike that or or not like that i was kind of trying to prepare myself <laughs> for for feedback like that and you know of course it's it's okay if people don't like it like that's that's going to be fine and you can't please everyone and that's okay but you're kind of you know, you've put your you've put your mark on something and you want to feel accepted and you want to feel like you did a good job. But again, like that's what your team is for to, to support each other and and to know that you at the end of the day, like you did the best that you could and you you made a game like what an achievement, what a miracle <laughs> that, 
let games get made because man is it a tumultuous process so you kind of just have to be proud of yourself at the end of the day and, and not look too closely at um at like the you know the, the small stuff don't sweat the small stuff um luckily i think vanguard had pretty positive reception overall i think people really enjoyed the campaign and our characters so we didn't have to deal with anything that was too like oh we thought the game was one thing and people thought it was entirely something else like i don't think that was the case this time so it was it was a very positive launch and i had a great time on on launch day <laughs> obviously it seems you're very happy where you are i'm curious what you think uh the future has in store for you what what more you want to do in gaming do you have ambitions of what you want to do or are you just sort of on in for the ride as long as you're writing <laughs> yeah i think i think right now i'm kind of in for the ride i definitely um, have plans to to kind of stick with Sledgehammer for a bit. Um, I love the studio, but I just like I I love this team. I I love the people that I get to work with every day, and um, I would not want to trade them for anything. So I, I plan on sticking around for a bit longer. But I'm also you know I'm taking I'm taking a screenwriting class right now to to get better at at doing that. So that would be cool. Maybe try writing a film. I don't know. I I have aspirations. The, the writer, the young little girl writer in me always wanted to publish a book. That is still something that I dream of. <laughs> so so we'll see. I think games will always be there, but there's like little side projects, you know, little little side projects to, to look forward to. And that will also keep me busy when I'm when I'm sick of looking at video games. I'll, I'll pull up a script instead or something for a little bit. <laughs> and just to circle back, because I'm sure there are lots of listeners who are thinking I'd like to get into the video game world, you know, especially students. Um, do you have any tips for what they can do, especially if they want to write? Um, should they be writing all the time? Should they be trying to make their own games? Should they just take the video game uh, certificate? Yeah, yeah. I think if you're if you want to go to the University of Alberta, I think quite at least now, I think more universities and schools kind of. Uh, in different places are offering courses in video games. So if that's something that you're interested in, definitely check if the school that you're interested in going to like has any kind of program like that. Um, it's nice to see more of them popping up. I would also recommend going to game jams. These are sometimes hosted online. Sometimes they're hosted in person in the city you're in. And you just, you get to meet people and over the course of like a weekend, just kind of bang out a video game. And that's actually awesome to use on a portfolio because it's a finished product and it shows that, you know, you've made a game, you've done the thing for, for the job that you want to do. So those are awesome. If you want to write for games specifically, I would definitely say um, beef up your screenwriting skills <laughs> because games are written, you know, a lot of cutscenes, a lot of trailers, they're actually written in script form. Um, so if you're uh, putting together a portfolio to apply with, definitely include an excerpt of a script that you've worked on. It could be a play, it could be a film, it could be a pilot for a TV show. Include that script because it shows you know the format and especially your skill with dialogue. That's really important. Um, if you're also looking at doing a portfolio, something we do a lot in games writing is called quip writing, quips or barks. This is what you hear like in a game of Overwatch, for example, the characters, you can be like running around and you can choose uh, a little like dialogue option and your character will be like, hello, or like, I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> and like These are things that you can either have your character say, or they're things that they'll say automatically if uh, it's triggered by like an event during the battle. So if you can write really good quips for a specific character, put them in a spreadsheet and, and hand that in as well as part of your portfolio. Um, with anything you hand in, show it to your friends first <laughs> so that they can be like your editors or, or something. Um, it's really important to like not hand in your first draft because I'm so sorry, your first draft, it's just never good. It just never is. <laughs> so, so go through that editing process. And then I think my last piece of advice would just be to, 
you know, play the games that you love, like, why do you love them? Like, think about what it is in those games, what those games are doing that make you interested, that connected you to the story or the gameplay in some way. Understanding, like, the guts of why that game worked is really, really important in translating that gameplay into narrative because that's what, you know, that's what narrative design is ultimately. It's not just the words that you write. It's the words that you write for the game. There's that extra layer there. So if you can, if you can do that, um, you're, yeah, you're on a great start. <laughs> okay, so I think it's time for the lightning round, which is brought to you by our affinity partner, TD Insurance. I ask these questions to all the guests um, first one is, have you ever been fired from a job? I have not. <laughs> not many have. I say that every time. Um, oh. I think you've already answered this one, but when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> I wanted to be a writer, some kind of writer. Mm-hmm. And, and later I learned. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's something that you wish people knew about your job or maybe something that's misunderstood about your job? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think maybe it can be, it can be just, just fun sometimes. Like the, the rapport with your colleagues can be really fun. I do think sometimes, like you were saying, you think that it's just, yeah, you sit and you write and you're done, but you talk to people a ton and it's, it can actually be really fun if, if you're open to hearing feedback and hearing people just like rip apart your writing. Like if if you can find a way to make that fun, like you're, you're on the right track and yeah, it can, it can be really enjoyable. (laughs) What do you, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in this job or even in this field, let's say in your case? Oh, that's really interesting. I'd like to say I would still be a writer in some capacity. Maybe, yeah, I don't, <laughs> that's really hard. I don't know. I don't, I maybe, let's just say, oh yeah, I'd for sure be writing scripts off in Hollywood for, <laughs> if I, if for I wasn't, films. <laughs> if I wasn't making narratives, I'd be making narratives. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> let's keep going then. Um, what's your favorite thing about your job? Um, My favorite thing is having an idea and that idea changing and shifting into an even better idea with help from people who are way smarter than I am and then seeing it uh, be produced, like come into production and become a thing. That's my, it's my favorite part. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself just after you graduated, is there any advice you'd give yourself? <laughs> um, am I allowed to swear? I don't, we'd probably have to bleep it out. <laughs> I would tell myself uh, not to take from anybody. That's good. <laughs> uh, last one. I, again, I, I, I'm interested to hear what you say to this one, because I, as I said before, you seem like you followed a sort of straight path to where you get. But in respect to your education and your career path or your career path, is there anything you wish you had done but didn't? Um. Yeah, I think... I think that's tough for me because because of where I am right now and I'm I'm so uh, I'm very pleased like I'm very joyful about where I am right now it's tough to say I wish I had done anything differently I think I wish I had maybe yeah right I think if anything I wish that I had maybe left some situations a little bit earlier I with I wish that I had known my worth a little bit earlier um it would have saved me (laughs) saved me uh some tears potentially so that's my my only my only gripe (laughs) Uh, I'm so grateful that you've come on the show to chat with me. This has been really fun. I'd love to see the director's cut where you describe Call of Duty Vanguard for all of us with all the behind the scenes. But thank you so much for talking about your career. 
say thank you so much for having me it was it was a blast if you ever want the the extended director's cut just i'll sit down with a glass of water six hours (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening to this episode of what the job and a special thanks to our guest shelby carlton for taking time to talk to us about her career And as always, a reminder that the best place for alumni to connect with other alumni about jobs, mentorship, or volunteer opportunities is the online platform Switchboard. It's free, and you can try it out today at uab.ca slash sboard. It's a great tool no matter where you are in your career journey. That's all for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.